R-N-N. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means. Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. Tonight's featured show is Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. Welcome to the Republic News Network for our live national broadcast. You may call me Kelby, and tonight I'm going to be acting as your moderator. The RNN, which stands for the Republic News Network, has been doing this radio show since 2010, and it's always been a friendly introduction for the people of the United States Corporation. Here we go. It's true. The United States is a federal corporation, and their exclusive jurisdiction is in the District of Columbia. The Republic government was simply a bunch of U.S. citizens that in law don't have access to the Bill of Rights, and they realized they wanted to be Americans as our founders and our law provided each and every one of us. See, we've been hard at work since 2008, and since 2010, we have successfully re-inhabited the original government vacated under Lincoln in 1861. I know, it's hard to understand. Don't worry. We are law-abiding, peaceful Americans and very pro-government, and we love our country. You can consider the Republic members are tired of the corruption that we see every day. See, we found in the law that there is two forms of government here on the land, and we did something about it. We are people. Mothers, fathers, sons, daughters. We have families just like you, we simply found some truths, and now we're sharing these important truths with the rest of the world. So get ready to hear things that sound amazing, and get ready to understand that you too are about to be a part of history. We welcome each one of you to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel and your republic if you so choose. But before we go into our broadcast tonight, please bow your head in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you so much for this opportunity to just tell the truth. Um, Ask that you bless the call, bless our guests, and uh, we thank you for all you do, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Mr. Happel, I yield the floor. Well, thank you, Kelby. And tonight I have a uh, distinctly great pleasure of having a friend on the call, someone who I have a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for, and that is uh, a legislator who served four terms in the Montana legislature, as a, uh, a true constitutional statesman. And that gentleman is uh, uh, Rick Jor. And Rick is uh, really quite an exceptional person. Uh, he understands that the responsibility of elected official is to serve the people and to follow the Constitution. And he did an extremely good job of both. Uh, Rick is on the call tonight because <clears throat> Rick tried to uh, file without declaring any kind of a political affiliation, including independent. He tried to file to run for the uh, uh, legislature in the state of Montana again 
Uh, he's been out of the legislature for a number of uh, number of years, and he decided he was going to run again. And when he went to the Secretary of State to file for that position, uh, he was told that he couldn't do it unless he declared a party. Uh, either Republican, Democrat, or Independent. And uh, that's what our call is about tonight, because we have a system of elected office in our country that has been dominated by a two-party system for far too long. And it's time that we turn that dynamic on its head. When we get someone of the quality of a Rick Jor wanting to run for office, there should be absolutely no impediments in in his uh, being able to file and run for elective office. Uh, Rick, I want to welcome you to the show. I have, uh, I've known you for a number of years now, and I am just uh, tickle pink that you're on the show because you are what every elected official should be. Dan, thank you very much. You're kind with your words, and uh, it's very good to be with you. Well, would you uh, maybe give our listeners just a little bit of your background? I know there's going to be some Montana folks that are going to be listening to this radio show, uh, but I, I, a lot of people aren't familiar with you around the country, and uh, I would like to uh, maybe have you give a little of your background because you truly are a, a elected official who is a citizen. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Dan. Yeah, I'll quickly uh, explain my background, and I think that'll help perhaps to uh, uh, allow folks to understand uh, my efforts here and what I'm trying, what I tried to do in filing for office. I was uh, elected to the legislature in 1994, uh, the year, I guess, is what they call the Republican Revolution. <laughs> and uh, I served as a Republican in 95, 97, and 99. And for those that uh, maybe were around at that time, they'll remember that we had large Republican majorities in both the House and the Senate and we had a Republican governor each session. And yet, uh, budget the budget <clears throat> increased extensively. Uh, unconstitutional legislation was passed. I, I just was astonished. I, you know, I, I guess I that was my learning time. But I was astonished at how the Republicans would campaign basically conservative, even if you don't uh, consider them constitutional conservatives, they, they always grabbed onto the label conservative, and yet uh, that wasn't consistent with what I witnessed in the legislature. So in 1999, I had had my fill of it, and I just didn't want my name associated with the Republican Party anymore. Uh, not that there's not some very good... Uh, and decent American patriots within the Republican Party. Please understand that. But the trend uh, did not change. Uh, status policies were enacted. 
uh, spending increased. There, there just simply was no philosophical change. And so in 1999, I resigned from the Republican Party and uh, associated with the Constitution Party of Montana and nationally. We had to, by doing that, I, I decided to run on the Constitution Party, but of course we needed to qualify for the ballot, so we did that, got signatures and qualified for the party, which I'm going to discuss that concept later in my point here. But uh, So I ran on the Constitution Party in 2000. I uh, uh, won't get into the details of 2000 and 2002 and 2004, except to say in 2004, uh, interestingly, I actually tied with the Democrat in a three-way race. And that that ended up being a lawsuit, and uh, the governor appointed me in that in the tie situation. The Democrats challenged it, went to the Supreme Court, and ultimately the Supreme Court decided that election. I think entirely contrary to the statutes, but uh, so the Democrat won that time. And then in 2006, I won on the Constitution Party. So I my last term, Dan, I served in the Montana legislature in 2007 as a member of the Constitution Party of Montana. So that's basically my uh, the background and that's why mm-hmm. I served four I served four terms and and so term limits in Montana took effect so I wasn't eligible to run for the house the next session and I hadn't filed for office until 2018 just this just this year right right well i i think rick uh first of all i completely understand how you feel about the republican party because as you know i've been very active in republican politics in montana for quite some time and i see the same issues i see uh, I guess I see the Republicans using the shield of conservatism and then really representing something totally different. And uh, that's happened uh, far too many times, and we, we lose a lot of very important battles in Montana because we have a Republican majority, but we also have a number of less than uh let's say republican republicans who uh always vote on the important issues with the democrats and we lose most of the really important issues or certainly a large percentage of them because of that so i i applaud your understanding uh and and running as a constitutional candidate because in in reality um uh, you're you're the kind of person that uh, we need a third party in this state, a legitimate third party, and you're the sort of person that would be an excellent representative of that, and it would be someone who's a statesman. So uh, with that, would you would you tell our listeners what happened recently when you tried to file uh, to run for elective office again, and uh, and how that whole process uh, kind of ended up in a uh, well a totally different uh, totally different outcome than you had anticipated 
and uh, why you want to people to really understand how important it is that we take our political process back. Okay, Dan, and, and I'll tell that story as quick as I can. Let me just clarify that it wasn't entirely something I didn't anticipate, quite frankly. I, When I filed, I was fairly certain that the Secretary of State would not accept my application. So let me explain my position. I, I had not thought about political parties qualifying for the candidate or for the uh, ballot uh when I initially ran for office, didn't even enter my mind. Uh, it didn't start. I didn't start giving it a lot of thought until I began to get signatures and put around the state to qualify the Constitution Party, so I could run on that party ticket. And but since then, I've I've thought about it and I've analyzed the Consti- the Montana Constitution regarding. Uh, qualification for office and here's the conclusion I've come to and it's basically expressed in article 4 section 4 of the Montana Constitution and that section is titled eligibility for public office and if folks that are listening listening want it'd be good if they could follow along if they can jump on the internet and bring up the Montana Constitution and and see these provisions for themselves I think that would be very helpful. But Article 4, Section 4 of the Montana Constitution, in the fir- it has two sentences. The first sentence is, is very simple and straightforward. Any qualified elector is eligible to any public office except as otherwise provided in this Constitution. Now, those who have read the Constitution, both the federal and and any of the numerous state constitutions, will recognize that the the phrase "except as provided in this Constitution" is fairly common, and that is used to clarify that it's not subject to legislative action. That that the Constitution establishes a, a provision, and it's not subject to legislative action. Contrary to that, they'll see in many uh, constitutional uh, uh, phrases the the language "except as provided by law" or "otherwise provided by law" or or words to that effect, and that means that this Constitution establishes a position, but they but it grants to the legislature uh, authority to enact statutes pertaining to whatever issue it's talking about. So that sentence, except uh, the, the, that sentence in Article 4, Section 4, again, under the title Eligibility for Public Office, seems to be very clear. Any qualified elector is eligible to any public office except as otherwise provided. So I'm a qualified elector. That really means nothing more than a voter. Mm-hmm. So to read that, one would think, well, anybody that's eligible to vote can run for for office under this language in the Constitution. The language pertaining to the qualified elector is, in fact, uh, allowed to be legislated upon, and the legislature has the constitutional authority, per the Montana Constitution, to define and, and establish qualifications to be a qualified elector. 
So I'm not challenging that. But this language here is clear, that once you're a qualified elector, you can run for public office. Now, I want to, if folks are following along, they can jump over to Article 3, Section 3 of the Montana Constitution, which I think is another provision that affirms my point here. Article 3, Section 3 is the oath of office provision, and after explaining or establishing the oath of office, which most people are familiar with, the second sentence in that section says, no other oath declaration or test shall be required as a qualification for any office or public trust. So when the uh, application from the Secretary of State's office for to file for the legislature, as I did, I filed for House District 15, when it requires a declaration of a party or a declaration of independent, I cannot reconcile that requirement with this constitutional language. Now, before I finish up here, Dan, let me just explain, too, where the second sentence in Article 4, Section 4, because it as it's interpreted and applied by the legislature, it seems to me to be a very clear contradiction to that first sentence. And that second sentence is, um, is this. The legislature may provide additional qualifications, but no person, and then it goes on with the irrelevant language that, to what we're talking about here, it's not relevant, but... No person convicted of a felony shall be eligible to hold office until his final discharge. So let me clarify to your listeners that I have not, I'm not a felon. I haven't been convicted of any <laughs> felony, so that doesn't apply. Yeah. Right. But the legislature has used that language to enact these uh, statutes that require uh someone who wants to file for office, in this case, in my case, the legislature, uh, to, de to make these declarations of party or independent. And I just simply, as struggle as I might, Dan, I cannot reconcile those, those statutes with the Montana Constitution. So okay. I hope well. that makes sense to this point. Yeah, and and the thing is, is that um, I, I think your point of all this is that there should not be impediments for legitimate uh, qualified electors to be able to run for elective office, and that any of these artificial impediments are causing, making it much more difficult for people who don't want to declare a party uh, to be part of the political process. And I, I guess our discussion tonight, we're, we're going to kind of evolve into a discussion to say, you know, haven't we had enough of a two-party system and there are these things in place that kind of act like a, a, a chokehold on the political process to make sure that Nobody besides Republicans or Democrats uh, seem to ever get elected to office. Now, you're kind of an anomaly because you actually ran as a constitutional candidate and won. 
And um, obviously, since you've had four terms in the legislature, it would appear to me that anyone, and especially the Secretary of State, would recognize that you're really um, ultimately qualified, because not only have you served in that office before, but you've served with great distinction. And Dan, let, well said, sir. And let me say this: let's let's just get right to the root of the impediment, because in my experience, I, I've had a hard time getting people to grasp uh, a lot of what I'm saying. It's not, and so I'll say this: it's not just a matter of somebody being able to run without a party designation. It actually, in my mind, goes beyond that. It goes to the question of how is it that political parties or private associations have gained access and qualified to the ballot in Montana? As you yeah. know, the Montana Constitution or, and the U.S. Constitution have no language whatsoever pertaining to political parties. And I don't see how anyone can read the language in the Montana Constitution dealing with qualification for office and come to any conclusion that organizations qualify for the ballot rather than individuals. Absolutely. And, and, and so here's the question. Why, where, how is it that we can justify qualifying political parties for the ballot and then requiring candidates to run on a qualified party ticket and so my contention dan is is, and and let me clarify one thing here that i think a lot of people get confused about i'm not opposed to people working within a political party i i absolutely believe in the right of association but i also believe that the right of disassociation is no less uh important and so I'm not opposed to to parties being active and working. What I'm opposed to, working to get uh, their candidates elected, what I'm opposed to is my personal private ballot being given to those parties and essentially uh, 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 being uh, giving those parties control over my ballot and everyone else's. How is it that we've come mm-hmm. to the, the, the conclusion that it's appropriate for the taxpayers to fund, for example, what to me clearly should be private party business, and that is I'm talking about taxpayer-funded primaries, solely for the purpose of political parties to nominate what candidate they want to represent them in the general election. Now, Dan, I don't feel like what I just conveyed was really articulate. I'm frustrated. That no, no, I, th- I think it's very well said. Um, and, and, Rick, here's, here's the thing that, uh, you know, the point that you're trying to make is the uh, same point. I, I uh, had this discussion with uh, a good friend of ours mutually, uh, Bill Cote, uh, on my trip back from Arizona, and we talked about this for hours. And, and the fact is, the political process has been hijacked 
because we do want right of association, but you're right. It has devolved into a two-party control system or control grid, and it precludes uh, outside candidates having the opportunity just to run as a, a, a citizen elector. Exactly, Dan, and I would go further than that. It actually precludes many voters like myself from applying their convictions and conscience to their ballot. And let, me, and let me explain what I mean by that. And I'm sure you've heard the same arguments that I have through the years and uh, what this two-party system has created, and that is that when the general election comes around and we might have a libertarian candidate on there or maybe in very limited cases a write-in candidate, and they're always at a disadvantage. But many of the republic, in my case, I work mostly with Republicans, of course, and conservatives, as you do, and, and we get, because we have a conviction that I don't want to vote for this certain Republican candidate, say in a congressional race, the accusation back is that, well, you're responsible for voting for getting the Democrat elected then. Right. And so that's what I mean by the parties claiming ownership of my ballot and therefore my conscience. They're saying and have said so often, and I bring this up because it's extremely offensive to me personally, and they say if you don't vote for so-and-so, then you're, you're in essence voting for the Democrat. So the, in my mind, the presupposition to that statement is that my ballot belongs to the party, and I'm, I'm obligated to vote for that person, even though I, I have, you know, as so many races, we, have, we get a conservative socialist running against a liberal socialist. So I don't want to vote for either one of them. And uh, so my contention is, is that's my ballot. It doesn't belong to the parties, to any party. And again, even though I fully support individuals that want to work within a party, uh, they do—they should not have, in my view, uh, control of my individual ballot through taxpayer-funded primary elections that gives them an advantage all through the uh, through the general election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, I think that's so real clear. If, if I could make this quick point, Dan. And so people may be wondering, well, how should it be? Well, I've kind of concluded there's, and this makes for some good discussions. And there's, I've got good friends that have other suggestions apart from those that I have. But it wouldn't be much different than how we do judicial elections in the state of Montana right now. If we're going to have a preliminary election, uh, election, I'll call it a preliminary election rather than a primary, to determine who qual- who who's going to be on the general uh, uh, election ballot, I would say it would be pretty much like how we do our judicial elections. As you know, if you have three or more or candidates for a judicial office from district court for district court or uh, even the justice of the peace in a county, uh, those the, all of those candidates are placed on the ballot in the primaries. 
they're on both the Republican and Democrat ballots, and if the Libertarians or the Green Party or the Constitution Party happen to have a a primary contest, they would those same judicial candidates are placed on every ballot, and the top two then are advanced to the general election. So that's just one idea of how it how it could be and maintain uh, a parity for all qualified candidates. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's right, and I and I think. You know, one of the things that the the two party system has become, um, I guess, a a litmus test. There, there's, you know, there's this perceived one is more conservative or one is more liberal than the other, and your point is well made because there are so many, so many shades of gray between the Democrat and Republican parties that you know people ought to be required to run on their merits and in the party process really shouldn't have anywhere nearly as much power as it has and if they were privatized Dan and what i mean by that if if the parties were privatized then all of these efforts are absolutely fine and 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 we could work within those parties and individuals that want to that would be fine but the problem is is they're not private anymore they're uh they have uh, a subsidy from the taxpayers most of whom aren't even de facto members of any political party uh they have a subsidy through that pa- taxpayer funded primary and for me personally I would argue they have a subsidy, uh, an advertising subsidy, through their party label that's on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, um, I, I think the discussion that uh, that we had, at least on the uh, uh, phone earlier, too, is a way to make the process more about electing qualified people who are real statesmen rather than a, uh, let's say, a pre, uh, pre-packaged uh, political candidate as a result of an, a party affiliation. I agree. What, yeah, what would you, uh, well, let's, let's continue this discussion because I think a lot of people are fascinated with the fact that you know, the whole process has just turned into, I, I don't want to call it a joke because it isn't very funny, but yeah. uh, turned into something that was never, ever intended by the founders or anyone else that is looking for responsive, responsible government. Yeah, exactly. And you made the point, you touched on the point that I experienced and I've seen time and time again both at the state level and the national level that the two the so-called two-party system and I often ask people well where's that in the Constitution they talk about our two-party system well I don't see anything about that in the Constitution but anyway mm-hmm. ultimately and this is my conclusion Dan that the so-called two-party system really is a single party system and we've we've seen that happen uh time and time again in the Montana legislature it's just a matter mm-hmm. of if a few republicans are going to join with the democrats 
to pass a bloated uh, state budget or uh, any number of unconstitutional programs. While I was there, for example, the children's, I mean, if the Republicans often say they don't want a single-payer health plan. Well, philosophically, there's no difference between that and what passed, I think, in 1997 in the state of Montana, and that's the children's health insurance program right. that a majority, a huge majority of the Republicans supported, and uh, and many other things along that line. So the two-party system really, if if people analyze it honestly, I think they're going to conclude that it's a, a single-party system. It's mm-hmm. it's. Uh, two socialist peas in a pod as far as uh, some of my friends have described it. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you're uh, right on the money with that. One of uh, one of the analogies that I like to use is it's that they take turns playing good cop, bad cop, yeah, and, yeah. you know, the taxpayers are the ones that are paying for their game. It's it's tragic. It It is absolutely... I, Dan, I, I'm not going to kid you. I just want to cry when I see the violations of life, liberty, and property and this game we're playing that is enslaving not only ourselves but our posterity as far into the future as we can go. And and we talk about it's politic or kicking a can down the road. I, I think it's it's worse than that. We've got to call it what it is. It's immoral and it's tyrannical. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. We we uh, we've we've evolved from a constitutional republic to a constitutional democracy to a uh, uh, more of a let's call it a, uh, a socialist democracy, and we're moving into a Marxist democracy. And, you know, that whole evolution, that whole process has been served well by a two-party system that has put getting reelected to public office way ahead of being a statesman and protecting the Constitution. And I, I, I don't see many of our elected officials either locally or at the national level that even make a pretense of trying to follow the the Constitution. Well, Dan, I can speak. I was in the legislature four terms. I've watched the Congress. I will say from experience what you are saying is exactly right. And, And anybody that is honest about their evaluation and analysis, I don't see how they can come to any other conclusion. Yeah, I, I don't either. Rick, I, I have to make the statement, too. You were, as a legislator, you were respected, and uh, I, I won't use the term adored, but certainly respected uh, above anyone else, I think, in the legislature in the, in the terms that you served by both parties and it was because you were honest about where you stood on everything and you knew how to tell people uh this is what i believe and this is what i'm going to stand for and that's it and they knew that and they respected that because you were consistent with it 
And, uh, boy, I wish more of our elected officials would learn from that kind of a, an experience. Well, Dan, thank you for that. And I, and I would like to respond to that just quickly by saying I have to say that I think it was probably my wife that taught me more than anything about trying to communicate a message to people because there was a time when I was so disgusted and angered and indignant about what was when I discovered, began to come around and learn just exactly where our country was going, that in trying to communicate a message, I would be, I, I know I offended people and I turned them off because I, I had fire in my eyes and I spoke <laughs> with a loud voice and bless my wife's heart, she many times explained to me that uh, you, you're, you're not going to influence people uh, with, with that message. And so I, I did my best at, at her advice to, uh, to simply maintain my convictions and without compromise and kind of do it with a smile, so to speak, and to correlate this to campaigning, and I think a lot of people were surprised that I even got elected because they perceived me as so radical. But here's what I, f I think this works, and I think other uh, candidates can, can learn from this. I learned that uh, during my campaigns, and many people told me this, she said, they would say, for example, as I was knocking on doors, you know, I don't agree with everything you say, but I, I appreciate that you're honest and that you're upfront about it. And I think that appeals to people. We're living in an age, Dan, of moral relativism, and, I, and, and people have been wallowing in that for so long that I kind of think that there's a real longing for something to grab onto that they that they feel like is truth and it's right and it never changes and and what it did for me in campaigning in that way if i can make this make sense it basically took the monkey off my back if you if you follow what i mean yeah when sure i do. got then when i got into office i didn't feel like i had to that i i felt like the monkey was entirely off my back i could make a stand for where I wanted, and yeah, many times the vote in the House was 99 to 1, uh, especially early on. But uh, it's it's so, uh, oh, I, I don't know what term I wanted, but it's it was, uh, it became easy for me not to worry about the headlines <laughs> the, yeah. in the paper the next day or, or being called the right wing, whatever name, you know, they've, every name in the book they call you so uh and a right wing radical is one of the nicest but uh so anyway that's i yeah I no i think that's right rick i uh i i fully understand i've been called some of the very same things that you've been called but uh when you are doing something with true conviction it turns you from a political hack yeah. to a statesman. Well and it changes your 
uh, let's say your dynamic from uh, serving yourself or self-interest to really serving a higher goal, which is the U.S. Constitution, and doing what is right instead of what is politically correct or politically expedient. That's a pretty simple concept, really. Yes, it is. Well said. And uh, I don't think we need to compromise to the extent that we've been uh, conditioned to think we do. I'm I'm a fan of Margaret Thatcher when she said uh, consensus is the absence of leadership. I don't think we need to worry so much about convictions when when it really isn't those numerous shades of gray you're talking about. It's pretty black right. and white. Well, and I I think you Rick, you certainly recognize this compromise as far as the uh political parties go, it seems like that compromise always goes to the left. It always goes to liberalism and goes away from constitutionalism. And in the process, over a period of time, if you know, if you continue to go uh go to the left, eventually you're gonna end up you're gonna end up in communism or Marxism or socialism, you're gonna be fully to the left and and I think quite frankly that we got awfully close to that and I think that's exactly what's happening now with the Trump administration and why he is running into so much resistance within his own party is because you know the the the, the jig is up and the bottom line is is that he recognizes that we went way, way too far to the left, and now they're battling against him from both sides. You're right, and that is entirely my experience. Compromise, you know, I, I heard an old guy say, I don't remember who it was, freedom is an absolute. And how can you compromise an absolute? And so my experience in the legislature is exactly what you said, Dan, Compromise always tends toward uh, the left, if you want to use that term. I had toward liberalism, friend. because liberalism buys votes. Yes, out of the public treasury. Mm-hmm. Yep. An old farmer friend here in the valley used to tell me, uh, good old guy, wonderful old guy, you can learn a lot from those old guys that have worked the ground for all their life and he just said it real simple. He says, when you compromise, you're always half wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, one of the things I, I want to see, so is there is there any way that you can get on the ballot? Dan, if I had, I've, I've first off, let me say this, since this, guest opinion that the Missoulian invited me to write and and the Daily Interlake was kind enough to put in too. I have not had anyone uh, respond in disagreement uh, with any kind of logical or rational argument against my uh, my arguments, which I think is interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I've struggled. I'm definitely going to uh, bring this forth as a 
as a uh, legislative uh, issue to correct. I'm going to challenge the legislators to fix this, that their laws currently, in my view, do not have constitutional sanction uh, relative to qualification for public office and how we do our elections. Who knows where that goes? You know that they all have a vested interest, a self-interest in, in the current laws. If I was flush with money, I, I have no faith in our courts, Dan, quite frankly. Me, I, I personally do not have a lot of faith in our courts. But if I had money to waste, I would love to make this argument in the courts. Um, but I don't have money to waste, so <laughs> that's probably not yeah. going to happen. I would like to mention what I do do personally, and, and, and quite frankly, what I think people, individual voters can do to address this, even with no change of any, any laws and in our current elections, we can address this. And, here's, here, and it may be small, and I'm like, uh, was it Everett Hill that said, uh, I am, I'm only one, but I am one, yes. and I'll do what I can do. Well, here's, here's what I do, and people might find this interesting, and maybe they'll consider doing it themselves. Dan, when I go to vote in the general election and any other election, first off, let me say that many times, uh, even though I vote, much of my ballot remains blank because uh, I'll be honest. There's instances where I can't, there may be only a Republican and a Democrat, and neither one of them qualify for my vote. Mm -hmm. So I just fill in the, the write-in line. Uh, the little oval in the right in line and leave it if I, unless I have somebody in mind that, to write in, and then I'll do that. But if I don't, I'll, I'll fill in the write in line that just has kind of a security that my vote can't be manipulated. I don't want mm -hmm. them getting a blank ballot and being able to fill it in later. Well, but other than that, here's what also I do just as my personal protest against the parties. And I'll say say it this way: stealing my ballot, my ballot is even in a race where there's, let's say, a Democrat and a Republican, and it's a Republican that's worthy of my vote. I I'll vote for him, but I won't vote on the line where his name is printed. I will write his name in the write-in line and fill in the oval there. And I will leave off the uh, the party label, and that's just simply my way of protesting the parties uh, having access to having control of my ballot because that so much mm -hmm. offends me. Uh, and if if I think uh, if if people would would begin to do things like that, and I I've often thought that perhaps we could call the movement reclaiming your ballot <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh yeah, but we go to vote we don't have any any no need to change any laws we can do this and they would have and see that and those those count dan i've checked on it and having been through a recount i know how they're how yeah, they have to be counted. hand counted yeah there you go and mm -hmm. i much prefer i i my personal preference is that every ballot be hand counted i don't like this machine mm -hmm. stuff i agree 
Yep. And so my vote counts, but I write in, even if the name is printed on the ballot, I write it in the write-in line and fill that line in and leave the label off. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think we could go a long ways towards negating the parties in that fashion. And, and then I would just uh, suggest another... Uh, Oh, Dan, I I forgot what I was going to say, I, but I have <laughs> another thought along that line that that I wanted to suggest too. That that oh, it's the write-in line itself. I have come to the conclusion uh, that really the the only the most honest way of, of for a candidate to run under our current laws, and this is just me people will disagree probably is to run as a write-in candidate that's the only way you it is and going back to to me filing here with making no declaration right they have made it illegal for me to appear on the ballot as just rick jor that's illegal or at least there's no legal way for that to happen to be printed right Right. The only way it can happen is if I was a write-in candidate and then the individuals that voted for me would write in my name just as Rick Jor and fill in that line. So mm-hmm. I use that write-in line a lot, and uh, I do not vote. And, it's, again, this is just my personal protest against the parties. Uh, I don't vote on the line where their name and label is printed. But again, let me clarify. I'm not saying that people. I'm not opposed to people working within political parties. Good for them, and I'm willing to work within certain political parties also. Mm-hmm. But that's mm-hmm. entirely different than that party having control, access, and control of individual ballots. Yeah. No, I I think that's pretty clear. I. Uh, Rick, I I agree with everything you've said, and the reason that the part the two party system has become what it has is because people have begun to rely on a label, and they rely on that Republican Democrat label, and then they find out after the fact that that candidate that they voted for. Uh, you know, is is almost the exact opposite of what they said uh, with the label. Yes, sir. And Absolutely. it's it's time that we quit labeling everything and make people run on their own merit on on their not only their ability but also on what they really truly stand for. And if they lie to the voters, then they need to be thrown out of office right away. I agree. And for those that would. Uh... I thank you for bringing that up, Dan, because this is an important point to make in 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 what I've been advocating. Because I'll oftentimes get the response that, well, we don't we got to have a label there, otherwise we don't know what that person stands for. Well, as you just explained, the label simply gives them opportunity to uh, deceive the voters. Right. As so often happens. So, so the label doesn't address that situation and uh and my contention is is and and again this is a publicly funded ballot 
And when I get that ballot, that's my ballot, and that's my conscience, in my view, that I can express on that ballot. And I, I have come to the conclusion, Dan, that party labels on that ballot is simply subsidized advertising for free or for uh, private uh, associations and organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I simply well, can't make can... sense of it. Well, you can, and and the thing is, Rick, uh, if there was a level of consistency, and we really did have a choice, but your point very early on, and you're absolutely right, is that we have a one-party system of uh, progressive socialists on the one hand, and and Trotskyites on the other hand. I, you know, it's it's. Uh, uh, neocons are, you know, and that, that's pretty well established. The neocons are Trotskyites. So what do we really have? We have a choice between frick and frack. We have a choice between, uh, you know, the guy playing good cop and the guy playing ga- bad cop, and tomorrow it'll be the exact opposite. And that does not lend itself to a good constitutional uh, political system or process that supports the idea of a republic. That's my conclusion, Dan. You said it better than I could say it. That's exactly what it's come to. And the uh, just witness the fruits over the years where, where we've gone and where we're going. And it's, 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 uh, we've, I, I just think we really need to understand to fix this. We got to get to the root of it. It's not just a matter of addressing uh, this. And, and if, as you've noticed through the years, this twiddly d, twiddly dumb choice that we have, typically thanks to taxpayer-funded primaries, then they tell us, "Well, here's your choice, and if you don't vote for that, uh, your your vote means nothing." Um, and uh, it's. The, the proof is in the uh, the, the pudding. Yeah. It's, it, it's it's simply not working. We've got to get to the root of this thing, and that's not to say that we don't have, perhaps, you know, in my view, a society that is wallowing in moral relativism because we've rejected. You know, the main reason that we reject these foundational principles, quite frankly, in my view, Dan, is that we've rejected God. And that mm-hmm. once we embrace this uh, humanistic notion that man is autonomous and there's no God that we're accountable for to, then there are no transcendent absolutes that we can adhere to. Everything is gray. Right. And whatever mm-hmm. shade of gray you want to apply to it. Well, I, I don't see it that way. I think it's a lot more black and white. Yeah, I think I think we certainly agree on that. And you know when we get away from we get away from god we get a, a, in into this uh moral relativism that you're talking about we get away from natural law which is the foundation of our constitution and that is why no one uses the constitution anymore other than to use it for toilet paper that's right the moral i have often said dan and i hope people Uh, have pondered this this is what is so dangerous about democracy democracy is very conducive to an evolutionary worldview presupposition because everything Mm -hmm. changes 
And then law, right. law, justice, and ethics and morality is simply the whims of whatever of of a fickle majority, and that is so contrary to a republic. A republic recognizes the rule of law and an unchanging, transcendent principles of truth and right and wrong, and morals. And of course, that don't come from autonomous man. That comes from a sovereign creator God. Mm-hmm. That's right. That comes from common law. It comes from uh, nature's God and the, and laws of the nature, God. Nature's God, right? Yeah, exactly. L- laws that are uh, that are created for man uh, and and by God, and the government exists just to protect those. Absolutely, as the Declaration also says. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. That's the purpose yep. of government. <laughs> yep, that's it. Well, Rick, I, I uh, you know that I've tried to get you to run for governor in the state of Montana. I wish you'd uh, uh, truly consider that because I think you're one candidate that actually uh, is an independent, uh, and by independent I mean someone that's not part of the two-party system, uh, I think you'd actually have a pretty good chance of uh, getting elected to that office. And I I hope at some point in time uh, there are enough of us to convince you to do that. Well, Dan, you're kind again. And i I got to tell you, I've been spending most of the last few years trying to make basically making a living. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, for some, I don't know, you know, for some reason... Uh, sometimes people forget that a man's first responsibility is to provide for his family, and that's taken a lot of my time. But I, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I am not a. I have thought about maybe doing just exactly what you're talking about, but I'm just have not been in a situation where that opportunity has presented itself to where mm-hmm. it, uh, I feel good about it. Well, you know, what it what it boils down to is a system is designed protect to protect those who are literally professional politicians. And the and the people that become professional politicians are those who are hand picked and you know, I hate to ta- use this term because you get accused of conspiracy theories, but there is an elite who handpick everyone that runs for political office. And I think the anomaly to that was Donald Trump. And I think that's why he is uh, meeting such incredible resistance, not only from the Democrats, but within his own party, because there's been a, a move afoot for many, many years, actually many decades, to move toward a global government and move away from uh, U.S. American national sovereignty under a Republican form of government. And there are a lot of people that have uh, been drinking that Kool-Aid for a long time. And the elite are the ones that make that make that call, make that pick. And almost anyone on that ballot ends up being someone who they handpicked. 
Dan, I agree with you fully. This move towards globalism is so clear and has been going on for so long. And I, I make this point often, just made it in a point of it in an email yesterday to a individual that's running for office here. And uh, this whole move towards globalism is nothing more or nothing less than man's effort to build a modern Tower of Babel. It's a rejection of obedience to God, and man is build, thinks he can build this utopian humanistic society and make a name for, for himself and, and find his own way to heaven, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. Yeah, well, create, create heaven on earth that they create. And yes, uh, right. interestingly enough, the, 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 uh, one of the basic premises of that heaven on earth is that they'll reduce the human population to fewer than a billion people. Now, uh, that looks to me like killing an awful lot of people. How in the world could anybody justify the insanity of the programs that they're trying to implement? I mean, it's just absolutely beyond any rational human being's uh, comprehension to even understand how these people could come up with this stuff. Well said, Dan, and and they're not even hiding those kinds of atrocious agendas. And I just, it's sad. Uh, I mean, of all the institutions that should be confronting that, it should be our churches. And and I'm going to be a little bit bold here, and maybe you'll have to chastise me, but so much of this goes back to our churches. And and many Mm -hmm. of these churches that are sucked into this globalist stuff are actually supporting it. And oh, absolutely. I mean, the Catholic Church right now. Uh, Pope Francis is a, is a hardcore socialist, and right. he's calling for a new world order. He's calling for a world government. Yes, I have many good Catholic friends, and, boy, they are shaking their head. They're, they're good American conservative yeah. Catholics, and boy, they I talk to them about that and ask them what they think, and they're just shaking their heads and disgusted, but it goes to the evangelical churches. We've got oh, sure. so-called evangelicals in all of the denominations. They're just, I'm so disappointed uh, mm-hmm. so often, quite frankly, Dan, in our preachers. They're just not standing in the gap. They're not uh, warning their people of the wolves that are uh, out to destroy their families, and it's yeah. it's it's extremely frustrating. It is, it is. Well, Rick, uh, we, we've reached the end of the program here. I want to thank you for coming on and talking about this important subject. I, I know that it uh, your initial reaction was. Uh, uh, geared to Montana politics, but the thing is, I think the way this was presented, we really truly understand this is not a state issue. This is not a local issue. This is a national issue, and what you've presented is uh, a really eye-opening look at why we need to get away from the two-party system. And I just want to thank you for being our guest and talking with our listeners about this. And uh, I hope you'll consider coming back on sometime in the future. Anytime, Dan. You're 
you're kind to have me on. I appreciate it. I hope people give some thought to this this issue. I think it gets to the root of a lot of our problems. I, th- I think you're right, Rick. Well, uh, thank our listeners for tuning in tonight, and I uh, I thank our our uh, our guest Rick Jor. And uh, with that, I turn the program back over to you, Kelby. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's show with Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. God bless. Good night. We'll see you next Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific.